The Old Testament reading comes from Psalm 63, which can be found on page 572 in the Pew Bibles. Psalm 63, a psalm of David, when he was in the desert of Judah. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. This is the word of the Lord. The Old Testament reading is John 1, verses 35 through 42. It can be found on page 1063. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard that John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which then translated is Peter. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Peter, and thank you, Jackie. Good morning. Through uh, the season of Lent, you may have caught on by now, we're looking at a different uh, question that Jesus asks each week. Uh, And today's question is, what do you want? And I didn't notice this until looking at the bulletin this morning, but, you know, Gwen had emailed me earlier in the week, said, how about first song response, we do this song? I said, sure, it sounds good. But I didn't think about this till this morning, that it says, sermon, what do you want and then immediately after, I want Jesus to walk with me. <laughs> it's like you try to foster the space of like big open-ended question. 
and then immediately shut it down with an answer. Uh, whoops. Uh, so a bit of a spoiler alert for you there, where we're going today, but uh, hopefully you've again caught on by now that uh, really all, all sermons, no matter what the scripture text, uh, should end with uh, Jesus' invitation to walk more intimately with him. Uh, but in that spirit, let's, let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are so, so good. And your goodness and your love towards us is so consistent, even when we are not. Lord, uh, we pray again in this Lenten journey, in uh, this time of engaging your word, opening our minds and our hearts and our lives to what you might have to say to us today. May we, Lord, seek uh, in all things and above all else uh, to walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What do you want? It's, uh, it's Jesus' first words in the Gospel of John. John's Gospel is such a masterpiece in the narration of Jesus' birth and life and teachings and death and resurrection. And, and John chooses to put these words uh, as the first words on Jesus' mouth. After all this buildup, beginning John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it's not until we get to 30-something verses into the Gospel that Jesus finally arrives on the scene. Two of John the Baptist's followers who are Andrew, the brother of Peter, and uh, scholars think probably John himself, who, who's the apostle who wrote this gospel, who are followers of John the Baptist at this point, and John points them to, John the Baptist points them to the person of Jesus. He's been preaching the whole time, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the one you're looking for, and finally he says, look, the Lamb of God. And they listen, and they approach Jesus, and Jesus, almost noticing them over his shoulder, turns and gives them this piercing question, what do you want? And John, in his telling of this story, presents us with Jesus' same piercing question, what do you want? It's interesting, the way John tells it, he, he switches actually into the present tense he's, when he talks about it. He's telling the story in the past, but he mentions Jesus says, not Jesus said, but Jesus says, what do you want? And 
The disciples curiously answer a question with a question. They say, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see. Or sometimes it's translated, come and you shall see. It's got this implicit promise in it. So I've been uh, doing my own work of trying to, to, to sit with this question, to, to sit in my times of prayer this week, in my walking, and my journaling, to uh, imagine Jesus, to picture Jesus, uh, asking me, Tony, what do you want? And uh, it's quite revealing when I, when I got into actually kind of journaling through a response here. Um, and by the way, my, my, uh, my outline today is a fairly simple one, hoping to kind of mirror a fairly simple text. Simple but profound. Hopefully my sermon will be simple but profound. That's always a good thing. Uh, but I just want to talk about two movements, the problem of the disordered life and uh, goodness and joy and the gift of a well-ordered life. Some bad news, but don't despair, followed by some good news. Uh, but as, as my kind of opening example of uh, the problem of the disordered life, I thought I'd share with you some of my own <laughs> confessions, some of my own insights when I did this exercise myself. When I really sat and asked myself, what do you want? What, what do I want? What gets me out of bed in the morning? You know, this, this text uh, we were looking at in our Bible study on Tuesday morning, we always look at the upcoming text. And uh, just going around there, different translations, some of the translations had, what do you seek? And it's the same word in the Greek I learned later in the week. When Jesus says, uh, seek first the kingdom of God. So it's a deep-seated, what, what do you seek? Or another translation, what, what are you after? What motivates you? What is the underlying impetus underneath all the things that busy your life? What do you want? Uh, my, my own list, uh, and this is just kind of stream of consciousness, and, and I tried to, you know, there's, I, I find myself catching often, there's, uh, I've learned to distinguish between what I believe I should want and what I actually want. Uh, my spiritual director helped me kind of realize that there's, there's my, or, or another example, my, my stated theology, what I say I believe about God, and then there's what I really believe about God that maybe shows itself, reveals itself through my uh, anxieties and, and other things. So I tried to be honest and go deeper than just, you know, a good Christian answer. I tried to really be honest about what is it I want. And my first thought was uh, a phrase Jen often uses, all the things. <laughs> I want all the things. Uh, I thought of, uh, about how typically American this is, too. Um, a story came to mind of, uh, I studied abroad in Italy after my junior year of college um, for a couple months in the town of Perugia in central Italy. And uh, I love ice cream. If you know me, you might know that about me. And Italy has their variation on ice cream, gelato, which is just so good. And so I made a, a habit of making sure to eat gelato every day I was in Italy. <laughs> and the gelato shop down the street from where I was staying in Perugia uh, had a single scoop, which most of the Italians would order, a double scoop, a triple scoop, and then the biggest was the four scoop, which they named the Americano. 
And I would, I would like just step right into that stereotype and I would get the Americano every day when I went there. Like as much gelato, more is better, bigger is better. Uh, my Canadian wife will sometimes just shake her head at me and say, you American, you, got, you want everything. But as I made my list, you know, some of this is material things, right? And, and I, I thought of the ways that I, I'm kind of spatial in my thinking, so I started thinking about our home and what I want for myself and my family, and I started thinking about, oh, this, I've been wanting to kind of redo our living room or build that movie theater in the basement with the sound system, and I want a comfortable home where I can host people, and, and there's money involved with that. Of course, I, I want health. I want long life. I want good things for my kids that they would grow up to know uh, and have their identity rooted in uh, knowledge of Christ's love for them and that they would live lives of joyful uh, service and response to that. Uh, I, I, want, I thought about how I want to be loved, I want to be thought well of, well-read, accomplished, respected, good and decent. I want to be a faithful Christian. And then I, I wrote down, I want to be humble. I really want to be humble. <laughs> uh, and, and I noticed another theme, too, of, of some contradictory things. I want to both be fit and attractive, but I, I also don't really want to have to work out ever because... <laughs> working out hurts. It just hurts. Uh, or I want to be wise. I want wisdom. But I don't want struggle. And I, I started to go through this, and then I thought, you know, and, and I want these things for myself and for my family, for all of you, and started thinking outward, and I, I want them for all people. I want world peace. And then I was convicted when I realized world peace is a lot lower on my list than that home theater system. And I want humans to treat all other humans like humans with dignity and respect. I want the flourishing of all. I want peace and justice, shalom in the land. And my big takeaway as I stepped back and kind of looked at this whole list was it's this intertwining of what I saw to be two threads of, of one, yes, my Christian formation woven through this, the fruit of uh, my formation in Sunday worship and scripture study and prayer and fellowship and service. There's a lot of good things on this list. But I also notice how, how that is intertwined with this, these American values that are rooted more in narcissism or greed or an obsession with pleasure or materiality. The word mishmash came to mind. It's this mishmash of these conflicting things. It's muddled. And I thought about, I, I thought of there's this tension here. And sometimes we talk about tension here as a good thing. We embrace tension, like in hard conversations. We embrace conflict. A lot of our, our year going through the Bible was an exercise in holding two seemingly polar ideas in tension. We like to say two things are true, but this is the, the bad kind of, of tension. This is, a, this is a muddled existence, and, and I noticed that the more that I let my life be muddled by the consumeristic values 
that we're all bombarded with every day throughout the day. And an egocentric way of living, the more my life, it's not a healthy tension that opens my life, but it's, it's a, a confliction that narrows it, that muddles who I am and what I stand for and what I'm about until to, to its extreme, our lives can just kind of amount to meh, a sort of, you find yourself going through your days and another week, another month, another year goes by and maybe you have these moments where you're alert and awake enough to wonder, what is it that I'm really living for? Am I just on this, this treadmill of going through the motions of what you're supposed to do at each stage of life until you retire and play some golf and then die? And this, I think, is the dilemma of a disordered life. I use that word uh, disordered very intentionally. I think something else I noticed about my own list is that uh, each of these desires, each of, the, each of my wants, are something that, at their deepest roots, are actually good gifts from God. Sometimes when we talk about the big categories of sin, we might talk about money and power and sex. And and things like that aren't bad things in themselves. They're actually good gifts that become bad when they become separated from when they fail to be submitted to a life of love and of service and an interest in the common good. When they become just about my own flourishing rather than the flourishing of all people and all creation. And when, when these wants, when each of these good gifts become divorced from uh, submission to a relationship with God, when we turn these things into idols by asking things that are finite in nature to fulfill a hole in our heart that only an infinite God can fulfill... I, uh, the last time I really did this exercise of, of doing a, a, a real hard, honest look at uh, what is it that I want, I was uh, at the Hermitage. Some of you have uh, heard me talk about this. Some of you have gone recently since I last mentioned it. It's uh, a place you can go. Lon Schwarzenegger told me about it and said, you've got to go to this place. It's, it's through uh, Kalamazoo and Three Rivers, and it's about $75 suggested donation, and you just... It's a place of quiet where they prepare your meals, and it's all this land, and it's great. I'm actually going there uh, tonight, and I'm going to spend the next couple nights there just in quiet and in prayer. Uh, and one of the things they have there, which is great, is it's what's called a prayer labyrinth. And if you don't know what that is, it's a, uh, when I was doing it in October, the grass was about this high, and essentially it's just a path that's mowed into the grass, making... Uh, almost think of like a corn maze, but uh, half-grown. And you, uh, sometimes they, they're stepping stones or sometimes they're written into pavement. But you, one of the ways to do it is as you approach the center of this path, so as I was walking around this prayer labyrinth, I had my hands down and was praying uh, 
in a spirit of confession, Lord, here are my desires, here are my wants, and to just name aloud, God, I confess that I want this, and I really want that, and I feel this impulse, and I feel this selfish desire. And, and again, some of it good, a lot of it good, but to lay it all down before the God who sees all these things anyway. And then to sit in the center of this labyrinth in quiet, and, and to seek to be aware of God's presence and God's love and God's grace, God's forgiveness that, that is greater than all of that. And then to walk out again, this time praying with hands lifted up, asking God to fill me with good things, to, to shape my desires, as I, as I approached inward, I was laying down false beliefs, fears, uh, things that I put my identity in, that I know I, I shouldn't put my identity in. And as I walked out with open hands, taking on my identity as God's beloved child and receiving the gifts of peace and love. And uh, the whole thing felt to me like a, an exercise of approaching and exiting, of of inviting God through prayer to reorder the desires of my heart. So that was all the problem of a disordered life, of our disordered desires, which we all struggle with. Even pastors, even uh, Christians who are well along in years, even the saints of the faith, now let's talk about the, the goodness and the joy, the gift of the well-ordered life. This exercise in, in laying down, of confessing our desires, laying them bare before God, and then inviting God to reorder them, uh, it reminds me of the, the great theologian, the great American theologian, Jonathan Edwards, who uh, taught me this prayer that I return to frequently, which is simply a prayer, Lord, order my affections. Affections is just another word for our wants, our desires. It, it's sometimes associated with our emotions, but it goes deeper than just our, our feelings, which can come and go based on whether or not we've had lunch or not. Our affections go deeper. It, it has to do with our desires and our, our wants. Lord, order my affections. The problem with my list is not that I want a nice space in my basement to watch good films, which actually for me I've come to find is, is a way that I encounter God, where I go deeper with myself and my own why. And it's not bad to appreciate the finer things in life, uh, but these things become sin in our lives when they end up too high on our priority list. When my desire for a nice home theater is higher than my love for our siblings who are suffering in Ukraine. And then when greed causes me to clutch too tightly my possessions rather than live a life of love and service and justice... 
Lord, order my affections. Another phrase that came to mind was another old Puritan phrase. Purity of heart is to will one thing. And I began to have this image of my list not so much being this conflicting mishmash, but these desires sorting themselves into a a right ordering where there was an integrity to them that, again, didn't close down my life, but actually expanded my life. When When I look at the people that I most admire whose lives uh, I seek to emulate, so often there's a focus to who they are. There's a clarity about what they are about. And it doesn't mean that they are boring. There can be a, a beautiful chaos, and some of these people are just really creative artists. But there's, there's a focus to it. There's evidence that they have retreated into that place of solitude and discovered their unique calling before God and then have committed themselves to it and that the competing uh, temptations that lead to such disorder, they found a way to, to place them where they belong, to not give them too high a priority. I thought of Jesus' uh, words which come in Matthew 6 in his Sermon on the Mount when he says, Uh, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things shall be added unto you. The the context of that, you may know, is when Jesus is, it's right after Jesus talks about money, right after he says you cannot serve two masters or else you'll love the one and hate the other, hate the one and love the other. He says, you can't serve, in case, in case we miss it with that, you can't serve both God and money. And then, and then that beautiful passage that most of you probably know well begins the do not worry. Do not worry about what you will eat or what you will wear. What you will wear. Do not worry about money. And that's where Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom. And all these other things will be given to you. Jesus invites us into the right ordering of all of our wants through following him in a life of submission to his lordship. And the fruit of taking up that call, of heeding Jesus' invitation, come and you shall see. Isn't necessarily this promise that we'll get everything we want in the way we expect to get it, in the way we want our wants, which is actually grace to us. If you look at the lives of so many of the people who have gotten their wish list, who have become rich and famous and powerful, there's so many disaster stories. It's almost predictable how quickly these things that we think we want can corrupt and destroy our lives. But when we submit all the desires of our hearts to the lordship of the good shepherd who supplies our every need, 
Sure, I may not get the new sweet mid-century modern leather couch I you know, would really love in our living room. We're, for now, we still have the old Ikea as-is section you know, floor model that we got for 600 bucks that's been through nine years of a, a dog and three little kids, and it's just gross. I'm sorry, many of you have sat on that couch, and it's disgusting, <laughs> you know? But, but I do have, I really do have a joy in my heart that many people with nicer couches than me don't have. Uh, and I still have a pretty nice projector that we got for 800 bucks, you know, after one of our stimulus checks a year or so ago. And, uh, and my movie setup's not bad, right? There's, this isn't an all-or-nothing kind of thing. Again, it's about submitting ourselves to Jesus and to seek first his kingdom and the heart of Jesus, the way of Jesus, which is the way of love which is the way of loving your neighbor as yourself, not more, not less, of recognizing the dignity in every human being made in the image of God. I, uh, I enjoyed some time in the sunshine Thursday afternoon. It was so beautiful. Uh, I got to just lay on our porch in the afternoon. The kids were at school. It was quiet. Uh, and just, I found myself just reading through I ended up reading about the first five chapters of John to get some more of the context around this story at the end of John chapter 1. And uh, what jumped out to me was the story in John 4 of Jesus with the woman at the well. Jesus says, you know, our story this morning is followed by some other calling stories. Jesus' ministry is starting up, and he hits the road, and they're traveling. And it says Jesus is tired and he sits uh, at this well, which is known as Jacob's Well, in this town. And uh, a Samaritan woman is there filling up her bucket of water. And Jesus asks her for a drink. And she is shocked by this. And, and she says to him, what are you doing? A Jewish person doesn't talk to a Samaritan person. And they get in this conversation about water. And Jesus has this this sort of playful conversation with her that ends up with Jesus telling her about his offer of a living water that he says shall leave you never thirsty again. And she says to him, I want this water. And she goes and she tells other about this man who she met, who she says, told me everything about myself. And could he be the Messiah, she wonders. And others come, and they see, and they wonder too. And then they say to her, at first we came because of what you said, but now we see and we believe that what he says is true. And I I came back to this image. You've heard us talk about it before, but... I feel like we could say this every week and it would never get old, that Bernard of Clairvaux's quote about uh, the Christian life, he says, is not like a channel in which water hits it and then empties itself immediately, but the Christian life is meant to be a reservoir that fills to the brim and then overflows without any loss to itself. 
that's become such a paradigm for, for me for ministry, uh, and I think is a paradigm for all of us for the Christian life. That what Jesus wants for every human being, for all of creation, is nothing short of being fully alive. It's nothing short of joy, of life in the full, of flourishing through right relationships. And my own experience uh, is that the more I submit myself to the lordship of Jesus, the more I'm able to open my life and my desires to the shaping of Christ's heart. The more I wake up every morning and am excited about what I get to do that day, that I get to love people again today. Uh, which wasn't always the case. I think even 10 years ago, and, and when I first started in ministry, there was still this kind of heaviness and this sense of like, oh, I have to work today. And I still have those days, don't get me wrong, but, but more and more, it's a, I get to follow Jesus today. I get to love people today. Even, even in the hard things, even in the things that involve sitting with people in their pain or hard conversations or hard decisions that need to be made. But there's joy in the goodness of following Jesus. I want to end with uh, this story about uh, a man, I, I assume some of you probably know, he's a longtime college professor named Don Wilson. Uh, and he died a few years back. But I got to know him when we were at Church of the Servant Church of the Servant from 2009 to 2011. Uh, I first met him, he, he, I think my first week there, he shuffled up in these big white sneakers, this elderly man with these huge glasses and crazy white hair and the sweater. And, I, and he said, hi, I'm Don. I said, how do you spend your time? And he said, oh, I just shuffle around looking for cookies. <laughs> and I thought, okay, this guy's kind of weird, but I, I, I like his vibe. Uh, <laughs> And then someone else was like, he probably didn't say this, but he's like a famous anthropologist who's world-renowned. And, uh, and I got to know him a little bit, and he at one point invited me uh, out to breakfast, and he took me to Arnie's, you know, on 28th and East Beltline. And uh, I found out afterwards he does this. He's done this with, I think, hundreds of young people. Maybe some of you have had the, the Don Wilson <laughs> uh, conversation where he, he asked this question, uh, what, is the, what is the meaning of life? Um, and then, I, I don't even remember what I said, but then he, but then he tells you what the right answer is. <laughs> uh, and he does it respectfully. Uh, he listens and, and nods. Uh, but then he, he shares, here's what I found to be the, the key to living a, a satisfied life. And he says, it's to wake up every morning and to begin your day with this simple prayer. Jesus, what is it you have for me to do today? And then to allow God's spirit to lead you through whatever the day holds for you. Jesus, what is it you have for me to do today? Friends, uh, 
The invitation of Jesus is here. It's clear. Come and see. And whether you are someone who uh, is maybe new or on the fence about this whole Jesus thing or someone who has heeded his call many, many times, uh, that's the invitation for us today. Uh, Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you. Thank you that you are the good shepherd, that you are the good king. And that, Lord, all you want for us is good. Lord, order our affections. Lord, teach us to live our lives in humble submission to your leading through the work of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.